Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, now let's bitch. Let's bitch about the defense and let's bitch about this manager. So the Mets in the fourth inning behind Kodai Senga commit two absolutely brutal errors. And one of them is by a guy playing the field, Jeff McNeil, commits an error. That ground ball by Bay's got to make the play. Then he's freaking out. He's having a hissy fit on the field when he can't make the play. And then the other error in the box score is for Luis Guillorme. But no, 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 no. It's not for Luis Guillorme. Because Luis Guillorme actually didn't commit an error. It was a clear transfer. Okay? Clear as day. There's a runner on first and one out. Hayes hits a ball to first base. Canna throws to second, and Guillaume, who is lightning quick, clearly makes the transition. The second base umpire, Will Little, says no. He didn't catch it. There's runners on first and third. Then let's get to our brilliant manager. Last year, our manager would go out and explain the rules to umpires. At least that's what we were told. This time, instead of calmly challenging the play, and by the way, look it up. Is it not challengeable? Like, am I missing something here? Instead of just challenging it, Buck runs out. He doesn't argue, by the way. Buck doesn't argue. He comes out and has a conversation. Comes out and says, what's going on? So he has this conversation with Will Little and never challenges. Never challenges. Derek Shelton, the manager of the Pirates, then comes out to make sure, hey, there's no challenge because the 15 seconds have gone by. And there's no challenge. So I've got a massive headache because I am hours behind on DVR and I'm afraid to Google, is this a challengeable play? Because my fear, Pete, is if I if I Google transfer play challenge, can you challenge it? Somehow the news info that's going to come back is the final score of the Met Pirate game. So I never do it because I'm so afraid. I've learned my lesson on how to DVR games and not get spoiled. But I'm, I'm losing my mind. Like, wait a second. Buck, 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 buck. You went out to have a discussion with the umpires and you never challenged. And for the life of me, I thought that was the game. Because remember, the very next play is when Jihan Bay hits the heartache ground ball to McNeil, who can't make the play. And so now they're set up again with first and third tie game at one. And Kodai Senga, to his credit, and he was great on Saturday. And we walked four guys, which will drive people nuts. I get it. But he knows how to find his way out of trouble. And he did in that fourth inning when his defense and his manager basically told him, hey, you're on your own. Now, Brandon Nimmo bailed out Kodai Senga one inning earlier. I don't want to forget that. When Senga walks the eight, nine, uh, the nine, one, and two hitters back to back to back, Connor Joe hits a ball that I thought's going off the wall, and Nimmo makes a great play. So Sengel was great. He wasn't perfect. And he was certainly bailed out by that Nimmo play. But in the following inning, he's bailing out his garbage defense and his manager, who, I don't know what was going on. And then, Pete, 
I this game's over. I watched the whole game. It's 11 o'clock at night because Saturday time with the kids. This is how you're able to remain being a good father, a good husband and watch every second of the Mets. You watch a four o'clock game at 930 at night. That's when I started it. It was movie night. We were watching Wally. And when everyone fell asleep because everybody passed out during Wally, dad went upstairs and said, let's get the scorebook ready. You know, because we're about to start this bad boy. And then I watched the game and I carried my children into their bed. And then I watched Buck's press conference because I needed to know, Buck, you genius, you brilliant man. How are you not challenging that? No one asked the question or at least what SNY showed us. They never showed anybody asking a question about the non-challenge by Buck. That drove me nuts. And as soon as the Mets won the game, I realized this is going into the dustpan of this season. No one's going to care. No one's going to think about it. It's dead. So for all the criticisms Buck faces, and he faces a lot, some of it fair, some of it not as fair, this is a big one. But they won the game, so we all move on. But that drove me nuts. Like, it was a bad call. Guillaume clearly was transferring the ball. I'm doing the transfer right now with my hands. And instead, Buck's going out there to have a cup of tea instead of challenging the play. Yeah, listen, I had that same issue, the same argument that uh, I was on air yesterday or this morning, I should say. And I, I again, I had the same problem with him. And it, Buck is just too, it's like he doesn't, I don't know if he doesn't care if he's just lost his edge but he does not look like the same man that was there last year. And right, everything went right last year for, for the Mets, so it's different in that aspect, but it's just not the same. It, 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 it's not. I, can't, I question everything he does now. I don't think he ever had fire last year. I just want to point that out. Like I don't remember Buck screaming and yelling or hollering, and certainly there weren't a lot of reasons to. The Mets had a great year last year, so I don't think that part of him is necessarily different, but missing something is because he didn't miss a lot last year. There weren't a lot of things that we walked away saying, hey, how'd you miss that? And not making the umpires take a look at that. Again, I mean, unless I am completely missing something, this is not a challengeable play. And if it is, I'm I'm stupefied by it because it certainly wasn't acknowledged on the broadcast. And when I looked for it, because I eventually did look for it, I never saw any evidence that it wasn't a challengeable play. It was just a miss. But look, Kodai Senga was great. I thought for a second, because remember, Senga finished this game by not allowing a base hit since the second inning. So Senga, who only allowed two hits in this game, allowed them in the first two innings. The last walk he issued was in the fourth inning. So in the fifth, sixth, and seventh, he retired everybody except for one guy who got on by an error. So I thought at 96 pitches, maybe I push him for the eighth. I thought about it because the Mets have the ability, and we'll spend more time on this later later on in the pod, with the multiple off days coming up next week against the Yankees around the Yankee series, that they can really play with their rotation however they want. And if they want to give Kodai Senga an extra couple of days, they can. And it wouldn't be the worst thing. So when you know you can give a guy a few extra days, do you push them? Do you challenge them a little bit more? That's the way I viewed it. Would I challenge him? Now, at this moment, the Mets are up uh, four to one because they had an insurance run in the eighth when Alvarez hit the home run. Heart of the order is coming up. I thought maybe this would be the time to do it 
at 96 pitches. Buck decided to not. He did his formula of, let me use David Robertson against their better hitters, and Robertson had a nice bounce-back game from the Thursday game against the Braves, gave up a leadoff hit, struck out back-to-back guys, and got through the eighth. And then Adam Adovino came in and had a very clean one, two, three, ninth inning after the Mets added another insurance run in the ninth on the Marcana RBI double. And they won this game by a score of five to one. Coming into the game, though, I was a little perturbed at Mark, uh, Mark Vientos not playing. Now, remember, Mark Vientos has had start and stop playing time since being recalled. With Alonzo now on the injured list, there's more opportunity for Mark Vientos to play every single day. The night before on the Friday game, he had an RBI single in the second inning. He drew a walk. He had a productive day. I wouldn't say it was a monster day. I wouldn't say it was an incredible day, but it was a nice day, especially that RBI single early, which you forget about because the Mets obviously gave up 14 runs. So I thought he had earned another start. Now, obviously, the decision Buck made not to play him worked out because Tommy Pham played left field, who's an option to sit. He had two hits. Mark Canna played first base. He was the mass RBI producer. He had a couple of doubles. So it worked. I want to acknowledge that. Whoever would have sat instead of Vientos would have either been Mark Canna or Tommy Pham, especially because they wanted to give Lindor the half an off day, which I'm not complaining about, especially when he had the defensive miscue the night before. So I'm not even going to mention Guillaume playing as something that was bad or an option because I get it. Lindor hadn't had a backup shortstop on this roster for a few weeks. So you want to give him a clean up the mental health after making a brutal error the night before a game. I'm not going to scream about that. So it's really either Fam or Canna, and both guys were productive. The problem is it cannot be easy for this young player to have such start and stop playing time since being recalled. He doesn't get to play consistently. And even after a positive game on Friday night, it doesn't turn into a start on Saturday. And that was very frustrating. So the Mets win a game. That felt good. That felt nice. I said to my wife after she woke up, honey, I see sun now. The Mets won a game. Because... Here's the funny thing. I had a great Saturday playing with my kids, but there was like this little fog hanging over. And that fog is the Mets. Like, we had a great time. We were playing baseball. My oldest son had one of his friends over. We were playing baseball. We were playing basketball. We were on the swing. Me and my little guy were going down the slide. Like, it was such a, had a barbecue. Like, what an American day. What a great American day. Can't complain about it. But there was this tiny fog hanging over. Like every time I wanted to say, oh my God, this is the greatest day ever. And it was a great day. Eight and a half out of 10. There was that fog, that met fog that hangs over. That's the problem with this team. Even when things are going well and other things, you think about this team and it'll just bring you down. It's been even affecting my jet love because Scherzer and Verlander has so crapped the bed that even when I saw Aaron Rodgers sitting there at the Tony Awards, And normally I'd be pumped up, look at my quarterback. He's out and about. He's having a good time. As I look into his eyes, I see Max Scherzer. And I see Justin Verlander. And I see Kevin Durant. And I'm like, this guy's going to disappoint me. He really is. I'm happy he's here, just like I was when KD was here. Just like I was when they signed Scherzer. Same thing. But I'm looking into the man's soul, and all I can see, and it's not his fault. He's done nothing wrong. 
All I can see is massive disappointment. Then we get to Sunday. Big game. Big game. Mets win a series. Two-game winning streak. It doesn't change everything, but it makes you feel a little bit better coming back to City for this five-game homestand against two teams, two franchises that everybody hates, the New York Yankees and the St. Louis Cardinals. Can they get to 32-34? and Which is not good, but it's better than 31 and 35. Can they win a series against the Pirates, who, by the way, they may have to battle for a wild card spot, assuming we're lucky enough to be in a wild card race, which at this rate may not exist. Can they win a series against the team they're competing with for potentially a spot? You got Cookie Carrasco on the mound against Mitch Keller. And we get a nice little pitcher's duel to start. Carrasco gets through trouble in the first and second after putting leadoff guys on base, and the Mets break through. Jeff McNeil, of all people, who's had a a quietly crappy season. Let's be honest about Jeff. You know, the batting average isn't horrible, 270, 275, but he never gets an extra base hit, and certainly that 275 average is 40 points below what it was last year. And so he's a singles hitter hitting 275, not getting on base a lot, not driving the ball, not driving runs in, and he actually did drive a ball in when he put one into the seats in right field to give the Mets a one nothing lead. And Carlos Carrasco, it took him 30 seconds. I timed it. It took him 30 seconds in the fourth inning to give it right back when Jack Sawinski, who's been a pain in the ass the entire weekend, hits an absolute bomb off the foul pole in right field. Uh, one good thing, about the home run off the foul pole, the discussion was brought up by Jet, who is six, not by me. What do you think he says, P? It's a trivia question for you, because you've got kids who are learning baseball. What does Jet say and is confused by on the Jack Sawinski home run? But it's a discussion we all have to have. I had it with my dad. He had it with me. And if you don't know, just tell me. I'll tell you what it was. Why is it fair if it hits the foul pole? Hey, you're my guy, Pete. You're my guy. You're damn right. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> and it's a discussion we all have to have, right? You're teaching your kid baseball. They think and they're understanding it. And then Jack Shawinsky has to put one off the foul pole. And Gary Cohn has to scream, fair, home run. Dad, 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 dad. I don't get it, Dad. Dad, I don't get it. And here's the best part. We really don't have a good answer. Like, none of us do. Like, what the hell's our answer? The only answer you could have is the whole whataboutism game, which I hate, which is, well, we drive on a freeway and we park on a driveway. <laughs> but that doesn't answer the question. That's all true. But why, if it hits the foul pole, is it not foul? So I explained to Jet that there are many an announcer and I've done it too, where we refuse to call it a foul pole and we call it the fair pole. And he's like, but it's not the fair pole. I was like, I know, but it represents the fair pole. I mean, if a ball hits the line down the line, it's a fair ball. If the ball hits the pole down the right field or left field line, it's a fair ball. So it was a nice discussion. While I was depressed about, you know, Carlos Carrasco immediately giving back a one nothing lead. And then before you know it, they're down 2-1. to one. Because Jahan Bay doubles, 
Omar Narvaez is not Francisco Alvarez, which means he can't block balls in the dirt. That's another thing. Alvarez is so much better defensively than Narvaez. Forget the bat for a second, which is obvious. Why would I waste our time on that? Defensively, and you've seen it just in the few games that Narvaez has played, and obviously the tons of games that Alvarez has played, he's better at knocking up balls, knocking those balls down in the dirt. So he allows Bay to go to third. Marcano gets the RBI single, and little do we know, in the fourth inning against the struggling Mitch Keller, that's your baseball game. I mean, that it's crazy. I say it now because I know, but in the fourth inning of this game, where the Met offense has shown a little bit of a pulse over the last few days, let's be honest about that. They scored five runs the night before in a 5-1 win. They scored seven runs, though a lot of it was late. I acknowledge that. You look at the Brave series, they scored how many runs in the finale of this series? Ten, and they lost. Like, the Met offense has been showing a little bit of a pulse. They scored five runs in the game before that, four runs in the game before that. Again, these are not absurd numbers, but they're acceptable, I guess would be the word. Like, they're okay. You can win a game by scoring four or five runs. You can't. You score one run, it's very unlikely you're going to win. You can win a one nothing game. We've seen the Mets do it. It's very unlikely. So I naively am sitting there down 2-1 to one in the fifth thinking, we'll score some runs. We may lose because this bullpen sucks, and who knows how far Cookie's going to go. And the truth was Cookie would only go two-thirds more of an inning because Buck had a very quick hook on him in the fifth inning, which we'll get to in a second. But little did I realize when the Pirates scored those two runs in the fourth, that that would be enough. Because the Met offense, after the McNeil home run, and they had a rally put together based on a walk and a hit batsman, and Narvaez grounded out with first and second two out, that was it. Like, they're barely threatened ever again. As far as the handling of Carrasco is concerned, I'll admit it, I didn't love when he took him out in the fifth. There's two outs. There's two on. He just got Santana out. His pitch count is very low. It's 81. And Balk immediately goes to Josh Walker. Now, the thing about Josh Walker is we don't know much about him. We know he's been successful at AAA. We saw him very briefly up here earlier. But sure, why not? Let's see what he's got. I would have pushed Carrasco to get through the fifth inning, but I would have been wrong. Because Josh Walker in that at-bat against Sawinski looked great. And considering Sawinski had the two hits against Carrasco in the home run, Buck obviously looked at the two for two and said, I ain't risking this again. He was right. I was wrong. I admit that. I raised my hand because Josh Walker came in and struck him out. And then Josh Walker actually looked okay in the sixth, gave up a hit, fell behind Bay, got a huge double play turned, and then got out of it by getting Marcano to pop up. So I guess the good news with Josh Walker is, all right, let's see more from him. His numbers in AAA against lefties were devastating, like a true lefty specialist. Obviously, tough to be that in this day and age with the three batter minimum. But I think it was like two for 30 down at AAA. Like really good numbers against left-handed batting. So I think that was a positive, that Josh Walker looked good enough, especially on the strikeout of Sawinski, that you kind of circle his name and say, all right, let's see what he's got. Because you're always looking for that with such a crappy bullpen. Drew Smith even did a fairly decent job dancing through a two-out double against Brian Reynolds, and Brooks Raley got through a leadoff walk. But then you have the offense, and you have the decision Buck made 
that nobody, nobody understands. So obviously, the Mets do nothing offensively against Mitch Keller. One, two, three in the fifth. One, two, three in the sixth. One, two, three in the seventh. Before finally, Keller's out of the game. And the Mets get a crack against this pirate bullpen and another crack against Dory Moretta, who the Mets actually hit the night before. That's when Mark Canna got the huge RBI double and the Mets had success against the guys who had a really good year for the Pirates out of their bullpen. 